G'day you mob, welcome to this episode of The Goss, where I sit down each week and chat with my old man, my dad, about the gossip, the news, this week. Most of these stories are down under, though we don't stray away from interesting stories from abroad around the rest of the globe. So, today we try and talk about a whole range of different topics, ranging from Victorian number plates, car number plates that were sold for $1 million, more than a million bucks. We talk about a man in the Melbourne CBD stealing $800 necklaces using a fishing rod. We talk about a new genus of extinct marsupial lion that was found in Australia. We also cover the coronavirus and give you an update on what's going on with that worldwide, as well as in Australia. And then we also dive into some rather difficult conversations, some rather difficult topics, but I'm trying not to shy away from those kinds of topics. So, we also talk about identity politics in Australia, things like race and gender, as well as a story that came up on ABC, I think it was on Four Corners, about young children being given hormones to prevent them going through puberty because they identified as non-binary. So, we try and talk about these topics, guys, to one, inform you about these issues, to help you develop your own opinions about these issues as well, and hopefully improve your English in the process. So, with that aside, guys, smack that kookaburra and let's get going. All right, Dad, what's going on? Hey, Pete. Good to be back. Well, welcome to this Another episode week. of The Goss. Yes. I know, we're up to number 10. Boom, 10. a decade. How did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, how's your week been? What have you been up to? Oh, busy. Yeah, been to the doctor for a checkup on the heart. Everything's okay. Yeah. Might need more surgery in a couple of months, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, you were telling me about that, so heart surgery. Does, yeah. Does that, yeah. Does that not freak you out a little bit? Well, you know, any surgery is freaky enough when you've got to go under a general anaesthetic. There's always a concern of complications, but yeah. Um, yeah, this is not open heart surgery. It's all just done through a catheter, so uh, it should be okay. Yeah, I feel like I would like to know if I were getting surgery how it was going to be done, but at the same time, I think a lot of the time when people describe yeah. surgeries to me. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. I just have that aversion to yes. um, blood. And yeah, it's so weird. Like I can, I've seen plenty of videos where surgery is happening or, you know, some of those atrocious videos of people getting injured or whatever. And it's kind of like, that doesn't disturb me. But when I think about it happening to me, mm. that's when I get sort of freaked out. And I've forgotten, let's find out what is the phobia called for blood, right? Phobia. Um... Do you know the word? It, it's it's bloody it's bloody obvious. Bloody, well, hemophobia. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. Hemophobia is people who have um, a fear of the sight of blood. For me, the sight of blood doesn't freak me out, but the idea of the having blood of it taken, being from you, yeah. yeah, blood taken yeah. freaks me out, or getting injections. Yeah, and again, yeah. intellectually, it doesn't bother me. I understand this needs to be done, mm. and I'll force myself to do it. But going through the process freaks me out. Just getting jabbed, and I remember, as you guys can probably see from my ear here. Um, when I was doing jiu-jitsu, we have things called cauliflower ear where the ear gets bruised effectively by being roughed up. So, boxers, rugby players, um, ju- judokas, so people who do judo and um, ju- uh, jiu-jitsu practitioners get them from being roughed up. And if you don't drain it, that 
the liquid in the ear turns to bone, it calcifies. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you have to try and drain it to avoid it being deformed really badly. Like, mine's a little bit deformed, but it's not as bad. Some of them end up looking like golf balls in people's ears. <laughs> but I had to go to the chemist and ask for like a pack of syringes and some alcohol and do it myself or I would have to go to the hospital every single day that I trained and it yeah. got worse. And it was funny because I was using the syringe on myself in the mirror, concentrating on shoving it through the skin and then pulling the blood out of my ear. And that never freaked me out. Yeah, go to get blood out of your arm at a <laughs> pathologist. I don't know how it works. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the, the weird thing is, I don't know if it was the fact that I had to concentrate myself on the needle, you know, and there was, there was one time where I pushed too hard and the needle went through my ear and out the other side. Mm. And it didn't bother me. Like, like piercing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it freaked me out a little bit. But I was like, oh, all right. Well, it's just, you, you didn't know. have the studs ready to. No. But it, it was funny because I was kind of like, you know, this is strange that I can do this every single day for a month and I don't pass out. I don't faint. But when I have to go and get a vaccine mm. afterwards, just now out of habit, I have to lie down just because I feel like I don't want to faint. I may not. And it's so weird because I feel like such a wuss. I feel like such a pussy. Yeah. And the, part of that is, yeah, obviously, I'm not a, uh, a psychologist, but uh, part of that is probably psychosomatic in yeah. that it happened yeah. to you once and now you're concerned about it and therefore yeah. it's going to happen. But yeah. the problem with psychosomatic uh, reactions is that they are real. Mm-hmm. They're not caused by the thing that you think they are, but they're still real. Kind of like the inverted um, placebo effect, right? Yeah. Where you're yeah. afraid of this thing happening. And so, because you're afraid of it happening, it happens because happen. yeah. you freak yourself out. I know what happens with me with um, having my blood out. I had to get my blood checked for something at the doctor and just recently. Oh, well, recently. In the last year, Kel came with me and she rang ahead. Great doctor. She was just like, I'm going to ring the guy. I'll tell him, you know, Pete's a bit of a wuss. <laughs> he can't handle it. He's a chicken. I show I show up there and the guy, instead of using a needle this time, he had a needle, but it wasn't in a syringe. It was on like the little, um, I guess it's like a tube, a plastic tube. Catheter, yeah, yeah. And he just did the like the tiniest little and it went in, pulled the blood out. And I was like, is that it? I like didn't even notice. Uh, but yeah, I had to lie down, put my legs up. I'm just like, just doing this just in case. Like, <laughs> I know I need to get my blood. I have no problem. I'll be fine but- in 15 minutes. Just leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. What about giving blood? Have What's it like in Australia in terms of the Red Cross and people giving blood? Is mm. it a cultural thing where we do it more than other places? Because but I have I quite I'm a few friends sure. who do it a lot. I don't know the details about that. Yeah. Um, I used to give blood when I was young, um, but then I got glandular fever. And then, I don't know what it's like now, but then the Red Cross would say, well, if you've had glandular fever, you can't give blood for 10 years. 10 years? 10 years. Is that how long it hangs around? Well, who knows? But, yeah, that was what their rules were. But isn't Uh, that worse than tattoos? Like, if you get a tattoo, it's like two years, four years, something like that? Yeah, that's because it's an unknown infection. Well, they're worried uh, about hepatitis C and everything, right, with tattoos. But, but, yeah, glandular fever was 10 years, and so I I just sort of got out of the habit and then stopped. Um, But, uh, (sighs) yeah, so... That freaks me out. I could, I would love to give blood, but I think I would have to have a general every time. <laughs> it like, sort of defeats the purpose. Yeah, of it, yeah, I'd be more than willing to if I didn't have to be awake during the process and think about it coming yeah. out of my arm into All the right. bag. And I have so much respect for people who can do it. One of my best friends, Tristan, who's definitely not going to be listening to this podcast, <laughs> but Tristan, I respect you, mate. He has done it. I think the other day he announced on Facebook eighty-two times, mm. and he's thirty-two. <laughs> So, he's, what's that, four times a year for the last, since he was probably 18. Yeah, you can't give blood, I think, unless you're over 16. Yeah, Um, but he's done it, I think he's done it 
since he's been legally of age to give blood, he's done it every single time he's been able to. Because I think they make you wait a month or two yeah, it's or two, something. Yeah, a couple of months, I think. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But- Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I guess, yeah, on to the news. Anything you want to hit? Should um, we start with some funny stuff We'll first? start with the toilet paper hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. This, and it, this is one of these- This really gives buying. you the shit. It does give it? me it the shit. It gives shits. you the shits. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't even excuse the pun. Um, it's panic buyers. You've got to sit there and go- <laughs> They cause havoc because everybody panics. Well, that's and the I, thing is that you're forced- And it's not yeah. panic if you- if you can see that there is a diminishing amount of toilet paper on the shelves, yeah. then you actually are buying just in case. It's the well, people who go when, yes, the first half a dozen people who say, oh, geez, toilet paper's going to run out. So we'll go and hoard that. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Why toilet paper? Yeah. Why not cans of sardines? Like it's just, it's bizarre <laughs> that somebody decided a few days ago that toilet paper in Australia was in, going to be in short yeah. supply. And I have no idea what the cause was. And ironically, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of course because it is. now it is of course in it is. Of course it is. And, that, and that, those panic buys happen you know, every now and then when you know, some trigger happens. And, you know, yeah. and I, I remember years ago there was a um, the gas supply. Uh, there was a major problem with the gas supply in, in uh, Victoria and the gas was off and people went out hoarding bottles of water. And yet, why? Why? Hoard, hoard the gas. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get that from the Go out and station. buy b- bottles of gas, maybe, <laughs> but hoarding bottles of water because there was a gas shortage. And yeah, I don't understand. So yeah, yeah, panic buying. It's um, but you know the stock market did the same thing. Yeah, coronavirus comes out and the stock market crashes. The stock market is you know, going up and down. Has absolutely zero to do with the economy. All it is, is is just people betting on other people's behaviour. Yeah. You're going to bet that people are going to buy, so you sell. You're going to bet that people are going to sell, so you buy. It's it's crazy. Well, yeah. There must be a term for it where you fear a certain outcome and the action you take to avoid that outcome causes the outcome. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it is. There must be a term. Yeah. Because one, one other example would be traffic jams, right? Yeah. Where people slow down, which where they don't need to, which causes the people behind them to slow down. And so, you end up with traffic jams where if everyone had just kept doing the yeah, normal speed, the there'd be no traffic jams. The classic one is on, on um, divided roads where there's a car accident on one side. And everyone and wants to check a, it out. And there's a traffic jam on the other side of the road where there, because there's no effect to the traffic on that side of the road. Everyone's so everybody wants to slow down. Or in fact, the first few people slow down and then everybody is slowed down regardless. So There's yeah. some, some beautiful stuff on- Traffic jams and I think working out that roundabouts are much more effective than um, what are they called four way intersections, right? Yeah. Or even lights, because it allows the free flow of mm-hmm. of people to move around that. But I remember seeing some studies when I was studying biology, and the they there were people working on population movement problems like that, where you have large groups of yeah. whatever it is moving around things and objects and through roads, and they were using ants to try and yes. solve that problem yeah. by putting certain obstructions along paths and then just letting thousands of ants mm-hmm. walk around them, and, and they would find the quickest and easiest route and then just follow that route, yeah. and they would yeah. use that to, to extrapolate that out. that study uh, was done 
partially to examine getting people out of large crowds yeah. in a hurry. Say yeah. you're at a, you know, the MCG, 100,000 people yeah. at a football game and there's an emergency and you have to get people out quickly. They wanted to know how do you deal with bottlenecks of people because, you know, gates are only so wide, you can only fit so many people through. Yeah. And the irony was that in those experiments with ants that it was found that if you put uh, obstructions in the way, like little bollards and things. Pylons, right. Pylons in yeah. the way, then the people didn't jam up because they suddenly got into these artificial lines yeah. and followed the person in front of them rather than just trying to go for the next gap. And so it, 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 crazy, it sped right? up the ant movement. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd, they'd have ants on one side of a, a wall and a tiny little hole and they'd all just jam up and nobody could get through. And then they put an obstacle in front of it and they just sort of yeah. zigzag in, you know, that sort of you know, zipper yeah, it's how technology goes in. So, yeah, it was a bit weird, but... Uh. It's pretty cool, though. I love seeing those sorts of scientific studies where you might be looking at a certain problem with a certain organism or in a cer- certain, you know, model or system, and then you end up applying it to a completely different one. Mm. One beautiful example of that are x-rays, right? They were originally used to probe space in order to take what sort of like long time, long exposure photos effectively of the background noise of space. Mm. And then what they realized that they could use them to see bones exactly. in people's, you know, when they were taking medical exams to have a look at people's injuries. So, that was one of those beautiful ones of crossover where, and this is one of those arguments, right, with funding, you know, oh, why should we fund that project? That doesn't seem relevant. And then quite often it ends up it being up with a useful, different- but in a completely different area that might save millions or billions of yeah, dollars. Yeah, and, right? and that is, there's, there's yeah, thousands of examples of scientific research where people have tried to answer one question and something comes up halfway along and they go, oh, that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what do you reckon is going to happen with the- People freaking out and buying shitloads of shit tickets, shitloads bog roll, yeah. <laughs> bog roll from oh, the look, uh, yeah, Safeway. And- I think this will be one of these ones that just goes away. I can't imagine, um, given the uh, the backlash on social media, <laughs> uh, I can't imagine that when those shelves get restocked in a few days' time. Mm. Uh, because It's not like that. this has been going on for weeks and we're actually genuinely <laughs> out of toilet paper in the country and it's all sitting in you know, a bunch of lunatics' <laughs> cellars or back I rooms. Just, I love how that's the first concern. It's yeah. like we don't want food, we're no. not worried about you know hygiene, but Jesus, I want to make sure that if I end up sick that I can go to the toilet and well, be it's comfortable. Well, it's funny because I, I actually went shopping last night and I bought toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper was already on our list. So, it was a bit weird going down a shelf you know, at nine o'clock at night in a supermarket when there weren't many people around. I'm not freaking out. I, I just want to go to the and there, was, there, wasn't much, there wasn't much toilet paper on the shelves. They were pretty barren. So, I grabbed really? a couple of packs. Even Normally, here. I'd only buy one. Yeah, I know. Normally, I'd only buy one. But so, I got forced into the semi-panic buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the sort of the look on the person's face at the checkout was, oh, you've got sucked in as well, have you? you well, know? yeah. <laughs> Kel was saying to me, do you want to go and grab some? And I just said to her, I didn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was that thing where, uh, for, a, for a split second last night when um, Joe, your mother and I were talking about it, we suddenly went, shit, should we go and buy some toilet paper? Because mm. she said, well, we it's on the shopping list anyway, so yeah. just go shopping now, which I did. But it's sort of that, well, what do you do? Just you know? get the kitchen hand, yeah. hand towels. Exactly. <laughs> Look, I, I actually did, I did enjoy the, um, the article that popped up on a Facebook feed this morning about how... Uh, all this sort of panic about coronavirus and, you know, things being in shortage and stuff was being propagated through the Murdoch press. Mm. And the irony of that is that if short, if 
toilet paper becomes uh, a short in shortage, then Murdoch's newspapers are actually going to go <laughs> increase in sales, <laughs> not for their content, but for their secondhand use. Well, was that what paper used to be like for outdoor dunnies? Yeah, Didn't I it can, used to I be newspapers remember, stapled remember, together yeah, and yeah. hanging on a hook? They're tied, you know, punch a hole through a newspaper and, you know, strips of it and hanging on a hook. Uh, yeah, that was, Do you want to explain? That was, that was a bit before my time, but yeah. I can remember it at a great aunt's place with the, the outdoor dunny. Yeah, the, can you explain? The, the history of the outdoor the, dunny? The drop toilet. And, and tell us yeah. about how, how that sort of came a, about in Australia and became a, such an Australian a, thing. A toilet seat mm-hmm. uh, mounted, enclosed, but mounted over a, you know, like a 10-gallon can. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in a little shed right at the back of the, the, the property. And every night, the poo man would come in his cart <laughs> and he would exchange the semi-filled can with a fresh one. And, uh, what and a then, shit job. Exactly. <laughs> and then take it away. And that was that was before sewerage and and particularly in inner suburbs. In, which year? Like a r- roughly around which oh, time? 1800s? Sort of, oh, well, even way after that. I can remember yeah. them. Um, yeah. So up until... Yeah, there are a few places in the 1950s and 60s that still had it. Good God. Um, but by then sewerage had become the norm. Mm-hmm. The trouble with sewerage was that in in many of the suburbs that had them, which were the original suburbs settled in Melbourne, um, and they were, you know, that thing, it wasn't a lot of technology that you had to build. Basically, you built a shed and put a seat over a can yeah. um, and have a little door on the back of the shed that could be opened. Um, but there were laneways all behind them. So now when you, you know, go around any development now and the back fence on your property is the other side of the back fence on the other property. But there were laneways between them. And yeah. those laneways were mostly to remove the sewerage. And they're still around so, Geelong and Melbourne. Oh, yeah, the old suburbs have those little cobbled lanes. Yeah, laneways. And that's what they did. These little horse-drawn carts that they'd go up and, you oh. know, the poo man would come and collect it. Far uh, And, yeah, so... Uh, that sort of started to disappear, but by the time it had started to disappear, and sewerage was, yeah, by the 1950s and 60s, was a common thing that, yeah, new developments just went in with sewerage in. Uh, but the older places had started to become um, more, you know, lower socioeconomic areas. So the people who were living there couldn't afford to put the sewerage on. Even when the sewerage went, yeah, you know, the sewerage trunk line might have gone down the back lane. They dug it up, put a sewerage pipe in, and so on. Then you had to pay someone. You to had to pay to connect house. into it. Yeah, yeah. and um, and effectively, what you were paying was half the share of the width, the cost of doing the, the length of your property or the, you know, the back of your property, and the person on the other side did the other half. But if you could, they'd still put it through, but if you couldn't afford it, yeah. then they didn't connect you up to it. So it took a bit longer for some of those places to get connected. Yeah, there's one thing I guess you experience it today only at campsites really, right, where you'll go to drop dunnies. Yeah, yeah. That's well, about the only now, ones you'll ever see. Yeah, and they're now composting, so yeah. they don't come and remove that typically. They uh, they just let it go for whatever time it is and then bury it and Jesus. move the toilets along. <laughs> you wonder what the problems were back then too with like fear of dropping things in the drop oh, dunny, right? Well, because here obviously nowadays yeah. it's your phone you're freaking out about. You're like, if that goes, it's... I'd pay the the cost of the phone again to not have to get it, right? Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Like, it's, yeah. it's done. What phone? <laughs> <laughs> That's I, it. Have you seen my phone? I've lost it. Yeah. yeah, and it must have been so weird back in that time too because, I mean, at the very beginning when we had drop dunnies, you would imagine there wouldn't have been electricity. No. So, you would have had to go no. in the and middle yeah, of the night with a candle and, or yeah, something. and I can remember going to my great aunt's place in East Malvern, which is yeah. now a very 
you know, upper class suburb in Melbourne um, and going to the toilet in her backyard. And <laughs> we didn't suburb, stay. The suburb used to be shit house. It did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or lots of little shit houses, all in a, all in the back lane. So I'll stop with the shit jokes. <laughs> well, we did start with toilet paper. This is only ever going to go downhill from here. Um, well, shit only rolls downhill. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, you can pump it uphill to go down again. Which you know, there are pumping stations around Melbourne to move the sewerage because Melbourne's so flat. Really, the sewerage has to be pumped yeah. um, up again to get down to mostly Werribee or the eastern plant down near Edithvale. Mm. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Sewerage <laughs> stories. I can tell them all day. There's a few. There's so many good expressions, right, related to poo in Australia. And, like, one of the classic ones you'll hear today referring to that is built like a brick shithouse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, built like a brick shithouse would be the guy is so strong, so big that he's built, like, yeah, you know, yeah, he's incredibly... basically a cube. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, he's like a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. So, yeah, far out. All right, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Yeah, I had a few funny ones to mention here. Victorian number plate has sold at auction for over a million dollars. Did you see that news? Uh, no, no. What number was it? Was it number one? No, that's no. worth a lot more yeah. now, now, apparently. It was uh, number 26, and it sold for $1.11 million. Cool. With a $55,000 auctioneer's fee on top of that from Shannon's Auctions. Yeah. yeah, they were expecting it to be six hundred to $700,000 as 20 years ago it sold for between seventy and eighty grand. And these number plates, I guess we should sort of give a bit of background. These are the first number plates that were ever released in the different states. You would have one, two. Yes, yeah. These are like phone numbers back then, right? Yeah, as they well. started with number one. <laughs> and yeah, look, well, I, um, a school friend of mine, you know, back in the late 60s and 70s, uh, his mother had number 23 on her car yep. and his grandfather had number eight. Jesus. Number eight. Well, and nowadays, <laughs> it's, just, it's just rich, old money families generally, right, that yeah. have these number plates passed down that they tend to hi- be, be highly contained within families and, and passed along. And yeah. they're so sore And now after. none of them will actually be on a car because they just get stolen. Well, that's what yeah. I was wondering. I think no I'd, I'd written down here. On a car. Well, I've seen a few. You see a few around Melbourne, especially on things like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Bentleys and stuff, where you'll see, you know, 110. But- yeah. Yeah, so this this number plate was repressed as well 30 years ago. So, it's not even the original, but it's a massive piece of history that people are so obsessed with. These number plates were first issued, I think, on motor vehicles in 1911. Yeah. But they were actually only um, printed and given out as plates in the 1920s. Mm. And, yeah, the CEO of Coles and Fosters, although I think Fosters was sold overseas, right, to an American company. Yeah, But possibly. the CEO of Coles, Peter Bartels, owns number one, and he knocked back offers for it for $1.5 million. Yeah. So, yeah. but what car would you Crazy. put it on if you had one? What car would I put it on? Yeah. Uh, probably a 1920 T-model Ford, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what it went on in the first place. But, Jesus. Uh, I thought I would yeah. put it on an absolute... Shit box yes. of a car, oh, just yeah. as a joke, it's right? It's one of those <laughs> episodes, isn't it? Just, yeah, just press delete now. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Just hit stop. Skip to the yeah. next one. Nah, but yeah, I can imagine. Imagine that having the... I can't imagine what car you would get that's worth more than the number plate if you bought well, it for one and a half million I, I remember oh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, seeing uh, a story like this in a newspaper where the number plate GTHO had sold mm. for $100,000, and this would be yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. And that was in relation to the GTHO Falcons. They were the touring cars that I think we were talking about a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, the touring cars in, uh, they were the Falcon, uh, the Ford, um, it, back in the 70s. 
and obviously somebody had got that personalised number plate, GTHO, to stick on their car. Yeah. Um, and they had obviously got rid of the car but kept the number plate. And people were saying at the time that if they still had the car, they could ha- get 20000 for it, but the number plate is so collectible by every person who has one of those cars restored would want mm. that number plate. And so it went for five times the value of the car that would have been on. So. It seems ridiculous. And I, I still don't get people who get personalised plates. Yeah, personalised plate. Yeah, I'm a knob. <laughs> well, it just instantly <laughs> screams at me Bogan, right? Yeah. I, I don't know, where you see like Shazza 5 or something. Oh, no. And yeah. not only that, you have to pay hundreds of dollars. Yeah, it costs you money. To get the yeah, number plate I remember plate seeing a, um, a bumper sticker and unfortunately it was before the days of, um, of having a camera in your phone so you couldn't just you know go click and take a photograph of it <laughs> but a bumper sticker next to one of those with a little arrow on it and a sign saying this just proves what a rich knob i am <laughs> well, at least they're gonna i can't remember what the number plate said the bumper sticker was better than the number plate Jesus. But, yeah. <laughs> what would you get if you were going to get a personalized plate on your car what would it be oh, I, I honestly I'd, i've never thought about it because i think it's just <laughs> such a bizarre idea that um yeah identifying your car by some and look, I because of the way number plates are done in Victoria anyway, we're restricted to six digits. Yeah, and so that makes it difficult uh, mm. to come up with a novel word that is still meaningful because they've all been done. Yeah, yeah, I'm you sure. Have to use numbers yeah, and that, yeah, the old you know school nickname of Smitho which is not much of a contraction of Smithson. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be taken, you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that would be taken, uh, not by a person with our surname, but uh, yeah. it must be taken. But I was trying uh, to find Oz Ing. Oz Ing. That was taken. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I'd totally get that. I would get that if uh, if it wasn't taken, but I'm not using it'd numbers. Be a, it'd be a lot cheaper to just get a magnetic sign and stick it on the side of your car. Very true. G'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again, Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.